Welcome back to another episode of the CSK8 Podcast. My name is Jared O'Leary. In this week's episode, I'm going to be reading an experience report that's going to be presented at SIGSE later on this week, assuming it doesn't get canceled because of coronavirus. But the experience report is titled, Introducing Coding Through Tabletop Board Games and Their Digital Instantiations Across Elementary Classrooms and School Libraries. Now, this paper was written by Victor R. Lee, Frederick Poole, Jody Clark Madura, Mimi Recker, and Melissa Rasmussen. Apologies if I mispronounced anybody's names. This paper can be found, at least the link to it can be found in the show notes, which you can click in the description in your app that you're listening to this on, or by visiting jaredoleary.com and clicking on the show notes for this particular episode. Now, if you click on the title that it's in the show notes, it will take you to the paper itself, which I believe all ACM members can download. In addition, if you click on any of the author's last names in the link at the top of my website, it will take you to their Google Scholar profile so you can read more papers by them. All right, so now I'm going to read for you the abstract for this paper. Quote, this experience report describes an approach for helping elementary schools integrate computational thinking and coding by leveraging existing resources and infrastructure that do not rely on one-to-one computing. A particular focus is using the school library and media center as a site to complement and enhance classroom instruction on coding. Further, our approach builds on unplugged knowledge and practices that are already familiar to and motivating for students, in this case, tabletop board games. Through these games, students can use their prior knowledge and ease with tabletop gaming mechanics to cue relevant ideas for core computational concepts. We describe a model and instructional unit spanning across classroom and school library settings that builds upon board gameplay as a source domain for computing knowledge. Building on expansive framing, the model emphasizes instructional linkages being made between one domain, the tabletop board game, and another, specifically designed scratch project shells with partially complete code blocks, such that the reasoning activities and different contexts as seen as instantiations of the same encompassing context. We present the experiences of three elementary school teachers as they implemented the unit in their classrooms and with their school librarian. We also show initial findings on the impact of the unit of student interest, N of 87, as measured by pre and post surveys. We conclude with lessons learned about ways to improve the unit and future classroom implementations, end quote. So if I were to summarize this into a single sentence, I would say that this experience report investigates the transfer of understandings when students begin learning computer science through a tabletop board game and switch to a digital coding environment. All right, so in the introduction, the authors point out that while elementary schools across the nation are being asked to incorporate computer science into the classroom, many teachers and administrators are unsure where to start when sifting through the many resources out there, or honestly, even where to start looking or how to assess the quality of the resources that are out there. I'm sure as educators who are listening to this, you can all attest to the many number of ads you've received for what's supposed to be the award-winning best platform ever, but really it's kind of hard to rate the quality of it just based on advertisements alone. So here's a quote from page 788. Quote, to address these issues, we have been working with local schools to find ways to integrate computational thinking and coding using existing resources and infrastructure and that do not rely on one-to-one computer to student ratios, end quote. Even though many schools are turning towards one-to-one devices, this is uh, very important for schools that cannot afford it or for schools who are looking for alternatives outside of just using screens the entire time while engaging in computer science. The authors point out in the paper itself that they are leveraging school libraries and media centers because they are increasingly becoming spaces for maker activities, which I've discussed in previous Unpacking Scholarship episodes. And they believe that the time spent in the library can be spent engaging with code. 
So for example, through organizations like Libraries Ready to Code, librarians and media specialists have access to computer science and computational thinking resources, which if you just search for that phrase or go to the show notes, I have a direct link to those resources. In addition, the authors indicate they chose libraries as a space for this particular study because of their, quote, ability to serve as a locus for interest, development, and maintenance, end quote. It's on page 789. And the authors also note that they previously studied playing board games in the library, so they wanted to see whether they could leverage, quote, board game play as a source domain for computing knowledge, end quote, page 788. Now, personally, I find the whole premise of this super nerdy and super enjoyable. I thoroughly approve, two thumbs up. In particular, I'm a big fan of multi-perspectival approaches, and if kids are more familiar with playing tabletop games, then cool, why not incorporate them in, in the classroom in some way that is meaningful to them and just so happens to also teach them some cool things that they can use in other subject areas like computer science or wherever. Now, in the review of literature, the authors point out that unplugged activities are often used to reinforce or teach computer science and computational thinking understandings. However, emerging research actually suggests that tabletop gaming can also teach CS and CT, which is pretty interesting and honestly not really talked about all that much in computer science scholarship that I've read. So here's a quote from page 788, quote, Tabletop board games can be well-suited for learning computational thinking because they have defined rules and structures that players must enact. In a sense, learners execute a program in order to complete the game. At the same time, players engage in extensive sense-making conversations to understand what and how procedures and rules are to be followed, how to optimize strategy, and how to monitor each other's actions." End quote. Now, in the paper itself, the authors mentioned multiple tabletop games like Coding Farmers, Potato Pirates, and Robot Turtles. And they indicate that all of these can teach um, computer science concepts, which I have, again, linked in the show notes. However, there is very little research to actually back up some of the claims that some of these companies make in terms of whether or not kids actually do learn computer science concepts when engaging in these board games. So to study this, the authors first began with the tabletop games and then use Engel's model expansive framing to determine whether computational thinking concepts actually transferred from the tabletop environment into digital coding environments like Scratch. Now, this is very important because as CS educators who are, again, bombarded by uh, tons of supposedly award-winning computer science platforms that will supposedly teach you absolutely everything you need to know about anything related to computer science, we need to be able to sift through the jargon, the marketing jargon in particular, and actually get down to whether or not kids actually learn when engaging in those environments, or if they're simply just having fun doing something that's tangentially related to computer science or computational thinking. So this particular study took place over eight weeks in a unit that went from computer science board games into scratch shells of those same games. So they typically spent about two weeks playing a CS board game, then three weeks making edits to the scratch version of the same board game, then two weeks designing new levels for the board game, and then finally a week sharing what they created with their teachers and peers. In addition, the classroom teachers also taught six preparatory lessons in their classrooms, which prepared kids for the engagement in the library. So they'd kind of introduce some of the things that they'd be doing, and then they'd actually do it in the library itself. Now, the game that they used was called Code on the Brink, which is linked in the show notes. And by the way, there are two slashes at the start of the word code, which means comment. You can see that in the show notes and in the paper itself. 
And this particular game has 40 challenges where kids essentially have to sequence together cards with directions that program a robot to navigate a level in the board game. In terms of participants, there were three fifth grade teachers in Utah who participated, which resulted in 87 kids participating in the study itself. Now to collect data, the authors used two video cameras that recorded the sessions, as well as a pre and post survey with 32 like art items related to interest in computer science, which was given to all of the students who participated. So let's talk about the actual findings of this particular study. So interestingly, the classroom with a teacher that had the most experience with block-based programming also, quote, reported a significant decrease in their intrinsic interest in computing, end quote. So that's page 790 to 791. So again, a decrease in their actual interest in wanting to learn computer science. In fact, their mean score was actually a full point lower within a range from one to six. However, one of the other classes stayed about the same, and the third class showed a significant increase in overall interest. In other words, they had mixed findings for implementation in the classroom. Now, the authors also found that kids who took the board game home indicated higher intrinsic interest in the post-survey than kids who didn't. However, the authors later point out that there was a, a sudden drop-off in interest for taking home the board game after a relatively short amount of time. Interestingly, in the preparation section, the authors recommended that the teachers have a discussion about what kids were going to do in those preparatory lessons. However, they found that teachers spent a lot more time talking or lecturing during that section than they did actually engaging in a discussion. So the authors, quote, posit that it was through teacher talk that variation in implementation was largely realized and thus was a contributor to the difference in student post-survey results between classes, end quote. That's on page 791. In other words, they think the reason why kids show different interests is because of the amount of time that each teacher spent during the preparation period lecturing at the students or talking to them. The reason why they posit this is because the students appeared more engaged in the lessons when there was less direct instruction. This is from their video observations. In addition, they note that the students who scored lower in the post survey were introduced to more abstract connections, such as like programming a calculator, than some of the more playful examples that the other teachers demonstrated, such as like programming a toy robot. So in other words, the authors are suggesting that we need to make things more relevant to the kids and connect with their own understandings rather than kind of talking about computer science in an abstract manner or something that makes sense to adults rather than for kids. Now, one of the interesting things that they point out in their findings is that the class that had the highest gains also had a teacher who narrated not only what she was doing, but what the students would be doing. This is something that I personally found really valuable when I was doing my student teaching. My mentor teacher actually would narrate out what he was doing and why he was doing certain things with the classes he was working with. So that way I could understand the thought processes behind what he was doing while teaching a class. So that really helped me and is kind of my way of saying, I agree, this could probably really help kids if you kind of explain your own thought processes as you're going through them in relation to what kids are actually going to be doing when they engage with coding in the library. Now, in the discussion section at the end of this relatively short paper, the authors mentioned that they want to start Scratch sooner during their next iteration because there's too much time between playing the board game and coding in Scratch. I found this point to be particularly interesting because it's basically saying they're trying to still figure out the balance between how much time should be spent doing something unplugged before you actually apply those concepts and understandings into a plugged version of that educational experience. Another one of the things the authors mentioned is that the game circulated a lot during the start of the unit, but then the students quickly lost interest in taking it home. Now, I found this with other devices that did not have opportunities for increasing complexity 
or creative outlets. So for example, kids who use the Makey Makey in my classes were like super excited about it at the beginning, but then after a couple weeks, they're like, eh, I just honestly wanna create something in Scratch. It takes too much time to set this thing up, and it's not as interesting as what I can do in the digital environment. Now that's not a knock on Makey Makey itself. It's a really interesting product that can be used. However, I just personally found that kids eventually lost interest in it after a couple of weeks despite an initial huge surge of interest in wanting to use one of the 10 available devices that I had in my classroom. All right, so I have some lingering questions. So one of them is, how might interest in computer science compare with the following treatment groups? One example, playing the board games only. Second example would be playing the board games and moving into Scratch. And then the third example would be using Scratch only. So if we had those three different treatment types, how would each of them compare? So only doing unplugged, doing the combination of unplugged and plugged, and then doing plugged only, i.e. scratch only. Also, what happens if we reverse the order? So for example, going from scratch and then learning the board game after the fact, or going from plugged to unplugged lessons. Now, personally, I prefer to go from plugged to unplugged back into plugged, because I think it situates the understandings and can kind of reinforce what's going on. So let me unpack that a little bit more, what I mean by that. For example, if kids are learning about conditionals in Scratch and they've gotten to this point in a project where they need to know how to do this thing and they start uh, engaging with using the if-else blocks, we can then do an unplugged that reinforces that understanding and provides a different way of looking at it, such as like red light, green light, something like that, where if I show a red light, then you're going to stop moving. Otherwise, if I show a green light, you're going to continue moving straight forward. After they go through that unplugged experience, then they go back into the platform where they needed to know that information and we're trying to apply it. And then they're able to contextualize that information a little bit better, hopefully, by having another perspective on what the if-else blocks are. So again, in other words, going from plugged, having a need to know something, to unplugged, where they explore it in an offline manner, in some way that's engaging and interesting to them and then going back into that need to know moment and applying their understandings in there. So this is a bit different than what is typically talked about where you start with unplugged and then you go into plugged or vice versa. Now, another question that I had is, is the purpose of this study to analyze the intended impact of the unit itself, how the unit was taught, or how students embodied the unit? So this gets into something that curricular scholars like Elliot Eisner and William H. Schubert discuss. So for example, there's the concept of the intended curriculum. The intended curriculum is what the curriculum designers created, or in this case, the game developers created, and it is the thing that we want everyone to walk away and no one understand. And we intend for this to happen, and we intend for these understandings to occur, and everyone's gonna become the best computer scientists in the world as a result of this curriculum. That's the intended part. Now, the taught curriculum is what is actually taught by the teachers in the classroom, or through the experience itself. So this goes hand in hand with the intended curriculum. But as the authors note, what is intended often differs in terms of how it was taught. So the authors wanted more of a discussion that was supposed to go with the preparatory lessons, but they noted that some of the teachers spent significantly more time than they wanted doing the preparatory lessons as lectures. So again, intended was different than what is taught. Now the next layer down would be the experience curriculum. So this is what kids actually experience in the curriculum itself. So what they're actually going through in the class. This is, can be and often is different than what is taught because what a student experiences is kind of dependent on many other factors. Now in addition to what's 
its students experience through the curriculum, there's also the embodied curriculum. These are the meanings that are derived from the experienced curriculum itself. So for example, if a student experiences a CS as unplugged lessons alone, they might embody the notion that computer science doesn't involve working on a computer. So let me kind of unpack those four so far. So we have intended curriculum. This is what like the curriculum or game developer intends to be learned or taught from the curriculum itself. However, that is often different than what is taught by the actual teacher. They might add their own spin on it or change some things or forget something or teach it in a way that is different than what is intended. Now, this then impacts the experience curriculum, which is what the students actually engage in in the classroom, which is sometimes different than the embodied curriculum, which are the takeaways, the things that they learn and walk away from. So even though it, something was intended, the way it was taught influences the way it was experienced, which influences what is actually embodied. All four of those things are completely different layers of curriculum development that we have to take in consideration when studying curricula in a classroom setting. Now there's also other layers. So for example, there's a hidden or implicit curriculum. Now the hidden or implicit curriculum is the curriculum that takes place beyond what is overtly stated. So for example, classroom and school norms are forms of hidden or implicit curriculum. An example that a lot of um, people talk about is norms in terms of raising hands and how quiet or loud a classroom or quote learning environment is supposed to be versus an informal learning environment such as the playground or whether or not students are walking in groups or walking in a straight line when going from one place of the school to the other. These are all forms of hidden or implicit curriculum. Now, another thing that we also have to think about when doing this kind of stuff is the tested curriculum. So this is what typically dictates what is perceived as important to know. So if it's on the test, that is something that a student is going to likely view as, okay, I need to know this thing, I need to do well on it, and the other stuff that's not on the test, I'm going to ignore. So if computer science is a tested curriculum, then the things that are tested on there, such as conditionals, like if else, if that's on the test, that's deemed as important. But if variables is not on the test, well, that's not as important. And one more that I'll mention in terms of different ways to look at the curriculum is the null curriculum. So that is what is left out. So no school or curriculum is ever able to teach everything. So what students don't have the opportunity to learn in schools is referred to as a null curriculum. The reason why I'm bringing up the intended, taught, experienced, embodied, hidden, or implicit tested and null curriculum is because these are all different ways that we could analyze different layers of curriculum itself. In this case, a board game that is then transferring, hopefully transferring knowledge into a digital environment. Now I'll get off of my soapbox. You can tell probably <laughs> that I'm a bit of a curriculum nerd and really like to think through all these different layers of things when it comes to designing and uh, researching curricula. In general, I really like the overall idea behind this experience report, like the idea of engaging in a tabletop board game and then researching the transfer of understandings into a digital environment. However, I feel like the paper itself could probably benefit from an inclusion of scholarship on curricula just to help clarify which layers we are actually analyzing within the report itself, because I feel like follow-up publications on this particular topic could result in several different foci. That being said, I really hope that the authors do follow-up studies where they look at different variations that I had previously mentioned and others that were unmentioned, as well as the different layers that could be unpacked in relation to curriculum design, curriculum implementation, and how curriculum is experienced or embodied by kids. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, all of the resources that I mentioned in terms of the different uh, board games and platforms and things like that are listed in the show notes, which you can find in the description. And I hope you consider sharing this podcast with somebody else who might find this beneficial.
Before I close, I want to give a quick shout out to Karen, who is a coworker at Boot Up, who is helping me now with editing podcasts. So the episode that's going to come out next week, that's an interview. Karen helped edit that, and it saved me a ton of time so I could focus creating some other content that will be released on our website. So thank you, Karen. I really appreciate the efforts you've made. It has made my life a lot easier. And lastly, I want to thank everybody who is listening to this. Thank you so much. I hope you all have a wonderful week. And if you are in 60 this week, I will be there as long as it's not canceled. So hit me up and we can uh, talk shop and maybe unpack some more layers of curriculum.